first to, uh, to Bruce and his bizarre country. And we have to begin, of course, Bruce, with the attack on, uh, on the Pelosi home. Yes, well, you know, bizarre, strange, um, berserk doesn't even begin to describe the, ca- the, the cascading, um, just the cascading violence of American politics going into these midterms. Um, Paul Pelosi, the wife of Nancy, the husband of Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, attacked in his home by a man police now say intending to kidnap kidnap and kneecap the Speaker of the House. Uh, came in shouting the slogan almost two years ago that echoed through the Congress, the halls of Congress, Where's Nancy? Clearly propelled forward by the conspiracy theories, by the calls to insurrection and violence over the Internet in the last two years. Um, And, you know, this would be horrific enough if it were an isolated event. But it is coming uh, amid a campaign in which we are seeing um, armed and threatening militias uh, in several states, Arizona and elsewhere, um, surrounding ballot boxes for early voting and otherwise threatening to intimidate voters going to the polls, threatening violence going in. We've been seeing, as you and I have discussed, the rise in anti-Semitism among mainstream candidates for office, including governor of Pennsylvania. Um, There has never been an election, not even the 2020 election, in which the the both reality and pervasive threat of violence, not since the end of of segregation anyway, um, when of course the threat of violence was used to enforce and en- enforce um, racial codes and intimidation of black voters. But in contemporary America, we've never seen an election like this and the the attack on Paul Pelosi um, only exemplifies that. Indeed, Nancy Pelosi, we now know, is the um, top receiver of threats in Congress, but there are dozens of others, members of members of Congress, who routinely now re- deal with threats of violence. Uh, and, it's, and it's bipartisan. Right? Look, We've I, had a man I arrested outside mention, Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh's house. Sorry, I have to mention that the chief tweet, the equally surreal Egon Musk, also perpetrated a conspiracy theory in regard to this attack. Well, indeed. And, you know, I, I had been planning, of course, on talking about the quite significant takeover of Twitter by, by Elon Musk as a separate matter. But Musk threw himself right into the middle of the Pelosi matter by um, retweeting a completely groundless claim from a Bay Area publication notorious for promoting uh, conspiracy theories and and far-right agendas. Um, it's not even worth repeating. In fact, it would be malpractice to repeat what the conspiracy theory was. But, you know, in the very week that <laughs> Musk has taken over Twitter, said the bird is free, and then on the other hand said, well, oops, we're, we're not going to get rid of our content moderation right away, and we're going to have a commission, and I'm not going to reinstate Donald Trump. Um, Musk put himself in the position, essentially, 
of showing that he's he's sooner or later going to need to ban himself from Twitter if Twitter is going to have any standards at all. Um, it, you know, it one of it just shows how one of the driving forces of this polarized and violent climate has been the kind of the adolescent libertarianism of Silicon Valley. Now, Um, uh, although he's still uh, banned from Twitter, the Donald has has expressed great regret and sadness about the Pelosi attack. Oh, well, (laughs) you know, the Donald and even worse, Donald Jr. Uh, And Don Don Jr. has um, not even, as his father has, made a kind of insincere faint in the in in the direction of regret don jr has been joking about the attack on nancy pelosi on twitter and one one of the kind of markers of of the shift in american politics has been the the fact that there are big big corners of the mainstream of the republican party powerful national figures who have not seen it necessary to deplore this act of violence. Um, And that is as alarming, the failure to speak up is as alarming as as the wackadoodles who are actively promoting conspiracy theories on, on the darker corners of Fox and on the darker corners of Twitter and the darker corners of Truth Social, which is nothing but dark corners, and, and, and. Um, And, you know, this is Musk's takeover of Twitter two weeks before this enormously consequential election um, really is significant because of of Musk's... um, articulated commitment to, you know, wrestling match, pro wrestling uh, uh, standards of civic discourse. That's the problem. There was a a ghastly uh, attack, a virtual attack on Ocasio-Cortez, wasn't there, via a video created by a fellow member of Congress, a Republican from Arizona. Well, yes, and you know, Ocasio Cortez after Nancy Pelosi uh, is Alexandra Ocasio Cortez, Congresswoman from New York, is the favorite um, attack, favorite target of of gender bigoted right wingers. But again, the fact that it's coming from a member of Congress in a state where the terms of the gubernatorial election in a neck and neck governor's race are between um, an an election denier, Carrie Lake, not only a Trump ally, but a 2020 election denier, um, and a centrist Democrat. Um, This, again, speaks to what members of Congress see as the way to get forward. Republican members of Congress see the way to get donations, the way to get props is to... um, issue defamatory deep fakes to issue conspiracy theories or to dance at the edge of conspiracy theories. Um, It's not just old-fashioned mudslinging, which has been a feature of American politics forever and is one of the things that makes this country entertaining. It is setting up politicians for, um, for assassination. I mean, let's be blunt. That's what was directed at Pelosi, and that is what is going to happen 
as a result of all of this rhetoric. Whether or not there are, there are planned conspiracies doesn't matter because the whole purpose of these kinds of deep fakes and, and, and conspiracy tweets is to appeal to the most overheated minds and motivate them to take extreme action. Talking to Bruce Shapiro, uh, let's talk now about the midterms, just hours away, and uh, about to wreak havoc. Uh, last time we talked about Georgia and Alaska. What about uh, looking at, uh, well, Pennsylvania? Well, we've talked about Pennsylvania before, but it's it's getting even more intense. First of all, we do have the governor's race there that's pitting Joshua Shapiro. Josh Shapiro, no relation to me except in some kind of deep historical sense, um, against uh, Mastriano, a, uh, a, a Trump-allied Republican who has been raising alarm among Jewish leaders, not only in Pennsylvania but all over the country, with his uh, anti-Semitic rhetoric about it cosmopolitan elites repeating of classic uh, anti-Semitic tropes. Um, then, in that one, it's likely that Joshua Shapiro is going to prevail. But then we have the neck-and-neck neck Senate race between Democrat John Fetterman, the lieutenant governor, and Mehmet Oz, uh, formerly and probably still of New Jersey, but who dragged his carpets uh, into Pennsylvania to run for Senate. Um, it got well, especially... Fetterman is such an extraordinary figure, literally. I mean, he's six foot eight. He, uh, he usually dresses in shorts and a hoodie. He does, but, you know, he also had a stroke right after getting the nomination way back in June. Um, and while he was qualified by his doctor to work and said that he's fine, um, he does suffer from auditory processing issues aud um, that are still um, affecting his work. And while it seemed okay, um, I think the public at large didn't get a sense of the depth of these issues until a the one and only debate that Fetterman and Oz had last week in which he needed a, a teleprompter to uh, interpret some stuff and where some of his processing issues led to some idiosyncratic expressions like um, beginning the evening by saying, good night, everyone. Um, clearly, this is someone dealing with disability, but dealing with it in a, in a quite courageous and focused way. And in the meantime... Dr. Oz didn't do himself any favors. He can't claim uh, cognitive processing disorder for saying, as he did, that abortion should be between a woman, her doctor, and local political leaders. Um, this is, you know, this is being watched so closely because it is one of the handful of knife-edge races, along with Arizona. Uh, uh, several other states, Georgia and others, that will determine the balance of power in the Senate, which, of course, is 50-50, now favoring the Democrats. All it takes is Republicans to swing one seat. So what happens in Pennsylvania now matters tremendously to the rest of the country. Um, you know, if you're betting, there's some... There seems to be some momentum for a Democratic Senate at the moment. If you're betting on the House, the momentum is for a Republican House, for Pelosi to lose the leadership to Kevin McCarthy. But this is a year in which there are so many 
unpredictable factors. We do not know how young people are going to vote. We do not know really who's going to turn out versus who's disgusted. We don't know what role the loss of Roe versus Wade is going to play compared to the economy. And in particular, we don't know uh, the role that governor's races are going to play. And that's an interesting one. In governor's races, you've got Democrats favored to swing a number of Republican states, including even possibly Oklahoma, one of the deepest red states in the country, may favor a Democratic governor. So we just, and you don't know how that's going to play out down ballot. Are people going to vote straight Democratic or are they going to break up their ballot? There's, there's a lot of polling going on. A lot of it is suggestive of Democratic loss of the House and Democratic control of the Senate. But no one really knows how this is going to turn out. And when you and I talk next week, it will, we'll be waking up to a different country. I'm dreading that conversation, I must say, Bruce. Good on you, Bruce. Bruce Shapiro, of course, Executive Director of the Dart Centre for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia University. G'day, potties. If you can't get enough of Canberra politics and your missing Fran Kelly, head to The Party Room, the podcast where Fran and RN Bricky presenter Patricia Cavallis unpick the week in politics. You'll find it on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>